This week's episode is a recording of a conversation produced by Tiffany Earle and Anelody Milne, the founders of Lemmy. We've done our best to enhance the audio of the 20-year-old conference call. While the sound may not be the best, the content is a classic. I'm excited about today's call. We call it Seasons, and I'll tell all of you why we talk about this and where it came from. About six, about seven years ago, I was pregnant with my fourth child, I guess so. Yeah, about seven years ago. She's six and a half now. I was pregnant with my, my little girl. I didn't know it was a little girl. Her name's Melanie, and the pregnancy was a really, really difficult pregnancy, and I'd kind of been in bed for two and a half months. I should have been in bed for two and a half months. I just kind of laid on the couch and kept trying to do life, and we were down in St. George visiting my family, and I was laying there on the couch hating life and feeling like like I could kill somebody because I was so sick. And my mom came and sat by me, and she was all excited. She'd been to a to a seminar, and it was a planning seminar, and wonderful messages, wonderful principles taught at the seminar. And one of the things they taught her was that she needed to go home and teach it to somebody else. So she picked me because I was a captive audience, and she began to teach me what she learned. And I was laying there listening to her, and she was telling me how important it was for me to have balance in my life. And all of the things she was defining... I see. It was it was really funny because... I'm yeah. puking. There's yeah. no balance in my life. That's right. That's, that's exactly what I felt inside. And, I, and everything she was describing as balance was so... It's so impossible. You need to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning, and you need to be able to plan your day. And, and you, need you need to, to exercise. be able to exercise every day. And, and have three need... nutritious meals. And, yeah, everything. everything. Okay. Three nutritious meals, you mean I can't eat store crackers all day? <laughs> so I remember that I, I stood up, and that's like a big deal for how sick I was. You've seen me like this a few times, Melody. I know you've done this before. I I stood up and I hit my hand on the back of the couch and I finally said, Mother, there's no such thing in this life as balance. That's all poppycock. And I said, I just went off on this this tirade about... That was written by, that was written by people who have never had a life, right? <laughs> well, no, it's actually written by really good people that just didn't see in seasons and I finally I said to her I said mother it is my season to be sick it is my season to have a baby and bring a baby into this world it is and I just went off for five minutes and she just looked at me and closed her book <laughs> and said I think you're right if you put her book down anyway I really knew later that was a long time ago. That was before before we started TJYC and the Cornwall School and all this stuff. But I realized there was a message in that that was true. It looked like my life was out of balance. That is what it looked like. But I knew everything I was doing in my life was exactly where I was supposed to be. And so, Melody and I want to share with you some principles that can sometimes make it easier to be in balance in the right way, not in the way the world thinks it's supposed to be. Because balance-oriented people, in the way balance is usually talked to, see life differently than seasons-oriented people. And that's what I want to talk about today. And so what you're telling me is that the balance 
you needed to have in the season that you were in was you needed to have the balance of sleep and rest. <laughs> yeah, that so that didn't look like balance to people. And here's what I'm going to share with you. If you take a pencil on your paper and just draw... Can I ask you this question? Yeah. Let me just ask you. If you had decided that you had to be able to have balance, you had to be able to exercise, you had to do all those things while you were still on your bed puking, and, and you know, you know the kind of pain that accompanies that kind of really bad morning sickness, wouldn't it have caused more stress in your life and your body would have been out of balance more? The truth is, I'm going to get there. The, the truth is, that's exactly where I was because I was still fighting it. I hadn't learned all the stuff that I'm going to share with you up to date. And that's why this story is so important because I got to experience the same thing later having learned this. And I knew I was supposed to be there and I knew part of what my mom was saying was did not hold true for me. But I still fought one of the seasons that I was in. I still fought that I was in a winter season and that it wasn't time to plant, it wasn't time to harvest, it wasn't time, it, it was a it was a very winter season, it was a sad time, it was a hard time, it was a difficult time, and I needed to persevere and have hope instead of keep trying to be what I wasn't. Yeah. And And so, yes, what you said is exactly right. I didn't submit all the way to the season that I was in, and we're jumping ahead a little, and that's great. I don't like that. I just, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're right. Sometimes the reason why is because balance-oriented people see different units than season-oriented people. The units that are seen are daily units, hourly units, weekly units, monthly units. That's about, you know, that's how the units that they will see it. And so in a day, you look at your life, the day of your life, and it's going to look really out of balance if, say, you were in a winter and had to spend 12 hours on your bed. That really doesn't look right. Uh, so you can't look at it in, in a daily or a weekly or a monthly or even an hourly unit to actually find what is real balance. Take, a, take your pencil and draw a horizontal line on your paper. This is our scale, this horizontal line. And put the, put the little knob underneath that it's resting on, right dab in the middle so we have this we have this scale, and sometimes we would like to lock the fulcrum right there in the middle of the scale, and then you've got equal things over here and equal things over here on the left and the right side. But the truth is, in life, that fulcrum is a moving fulcrum. It actually moves. There are two questions that we can ask ourselves to know where that fulcrum is because let's say that fulcrum is clear. Let's let's take a child who is in core phase. And if if you kept your core phase child, your love of learning phase child, and your scholar phase child, and you kept the fulcrum right in the same spot, then what you gave them to do every day would be the same thing. But if you allowed the fulcrum to scoot over, say, to the left, because you know that the child's day on the right is less heavy than, say, a, a scholar-faced child who the fulcrum might be moved over a lot further to the right. What does a, what does your core child do during the day, Melody? Well, you've got a child who's in core phase. What, if, yes, what is his number one thing he's learning right now? 
that you know he is supposed to learn over the next few months? He's learning obey. Okay, he's learning obey. He's learning in the little, small, simple things. Well, we have him in gent- we have little gentleman school, and so when he doesn't behave like a gentleman, then we talk to him about what gentlemen act like, and when he doesn't does behave like a gentleman, he gets little rewards, and so you know he does a lot of playing, and when he plays like a gentleman, then he gets rewards, and when he doesn't, then you know you teach him. We teach him. Good. I have a little child who's the same one that I was pregnant with. She's in core, and one of her things that she's working she's working on right now is working, actually, you know, putting her jammies away in the morning or bringing her right. dish over to the sink. She's at that point that that's one of the most important things that I'm teaching her is to take care of what is hers. <laughs> that's a lot different than my scholar-faced child, who, who his his balance looks very much different than hers because of the phase that they're in, the, the season that they're in. Seasons-oriented people see life in, in units, but about the smallest unit that they see is quarterly. Like four times a year, they'll see the quarterly units like that. They, For instance, I remember learning that it... It's really important. I don't know if all of you have ever done this before, but the very best time to make resolutions is not actually January 1st. That's that's a good time to make a new quarterly resolution, but to make your yearly plan, one of the very, very best times to make your yearly plan is in September. There's, There's more power in making your yearly plan and then evaluate it quarterly because our and this is important to understand because our culture supports the balance-oriented thought rather than the seasons-oriented way, and yet we can be far more effective if we see in seasons. I'll, I'll share an example of that. And you're going to see what things change the fulcrum so that to achieve real balance, what you look at is not what's you look at where the fulcrum is supposed to be, and then you can see my life is not out of balance. It's not a comparison of my life to yours. It's where am I at in my life because I've got to move my fulcrum. That's how I. That's part of how I find balance. Then I can go ahead and fill up the scale with what's supposed to be on the scale. But if my fulcrum is in the wrong place, I will be out of balance. No matter, you know, for the things, especially if it looks like it's in balance, if my fulcrum is in the wrong place. So what we're talking about today is how to place the fulcrum. People who see in seasons see life differently. Dr. Erickson did research on the stages of psychological development. This chart that I'm going to give you is in a publication that Oliver and Rachel DeMille put out. Now, there's a revolutionary case. Just look, <clears throat> education is talked about widely. It's a huge, 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 huge <laughs> issue in in America today because of what's happening with our education. No child left behind. All of the legislation. I mean, we're going to see such rapid, rapid change within our lifetime that the education our children get and, our well, our children's children will be so different than what's 
available even now because of how much change there is with education. Well, you take a balanced-oriented person versus a seasoned-oriented person, you're going to get a whole different take on education. Oliver and Rachel DeMille have the seasons approach. Phases are part of seasons. That's one of the differences is that you you can see phases, you can see units, you can see cycles differently if you see in seasons. And if you look at Thomas Jefferson education, it is based on the seasons approach to education. Look at the phases. You have, first of all, core phase, then you have love of learning phase, then you have scholar phase. It's all phases. Right. Different than, and sometimes he says, this phase may take 50 years. If you don't complete the phase, you don't move on. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So are you saying are you, that different aspects of our lives, we are, have different seasons, like, let us say, the aspect of my life of being a mother, I'm going to have different seasons. And the aspect of my life of my education, I'm going to have different seasons. Yeah. And the aspect of my life of my marriage, I'm going to have different seasons. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. There. And and that each one of them are going to kind of align in different ways. Like I might be, I might be a mother who has, who has corpage children and have a lot of, a lot of diapers to have to change, but I'm also in my education. I'm I'm in scholar phase, and so I have some. Do you see what I'm saying? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And there are some some ways that we can can look at it that way. Here's. One of the ways is people who see in seasons know that they have phases, cycles, relationships. They can see in all those ways. Let me give an example. For phases, we can just take the educational phases. I was going to give you some phases of psychological development real quick. According to Dr. Erickson, there are certain things that a child learns, a person learns at a certain age. That because they go through certain stages, from the ages of zero to one, a child learns to trust. If they don't learn trust, then they learn mistrust. You know, that's so interesting because that really reminds me of my father, whose mother died when he was eight days old. And really, he spent a lot of years of his life learning how to trust because I think he had... It was you know, tragic. He, yeah, yeah, it was tragic. That it uh, this this stage of psychological development. I love to look at this because if I have a child that I'm struggling with, I can look at this <laughs> and say, "Oh, oh, I've got to." You know, it really helps me. I, the same thing happened to my baby when I was so pregnant. When, when I was so sick with Melanie, my little baby was was that age, and he had a hard time with both of these, and it took us it took us about, I don't know, he was four and, and barely was not acting like a two-year-old anymore because it took us time to move through these phases hmm. afterward because of what he lost when he was just little. Hmm. If a person learns trust, <clears throat> they will gain the attribute of hope. Dr. Erickson says, from the ages of one to three, a person learns autonomy or shame and doubt. If they learn autonomy, they will gain the attribute of willpower. From three to six, a child learns initiative 
or guilt. If they learned initiative, they gained the attribute of purpose. From 6 to 12, they learned industry, productivity, or inferiority. If they learn industry and productivity, they acquire competence. From 12 to 18, a person learns their identity, or they learn role confusion. If they learn their identity, then they acquire fidelity. From 18 to 40, they learn intimacy or isolation. If they learn intimacy, then they grow in love. From 40 to 60, they learn generativity to generate or stagnation. If they learn generativity, then they acquire care. And 60 plus, they learn what he calls ego integration, or they despair. If they learn ego integration, then they acquire wisdom. I thought it was really interesting, Anality. You told me once that your mom, you, you have 11 children in your family, right? Yeah. And you had 25 foster children, your mom did, right? Yeah. Most of her life had been spent raising children, and he said that when you brought this chart home, she took it down to her room and she studied it for four hours. She came back up and <laughs> she gave it back to you and said, "Yep, it's true." <laughs> <laughs> and then sat there and gave you example after example after example. Well, and what I think is interesting is she could identify, as she looked at the chart, she could identify each one of her foster children. You know, had different problems. And she had a, a niece who was a foster child to her that came to live with us when she was 15 and really had a very good home life, came from a really good family, and I think for the most part had learned how to trust. She she learned autonomy. But what happened to her was when she was getting into the identity stage, she had some some kind of bad things happened to her. She she was molested when she was 13, or I guess she was molested. And it threw her into a tailspin. And my mom could identify, yeah, she has role confusion. That's exactly what's wrong with her. That's when it went wrong in her life. Wow. And we had an, she had another foster child who his father left when they were, when he was nine, and he she he was the laziest boy she ever met. Wow. Because he wasn't learning the industry. Productivity. Right. The the good thing about seasons is that there you can learn them. There's an ideal time. There is a most favorable season for all things. There is a season for all things. But if missed they can usually be learned later. It's just not yeah. the ideal time. Right. We Just like there are ideal times to learn the scholar skills that we teach our practice and apprentice scholar students, and if they don't learn them at that time, they pick them up as adults. If, if a person doesn't learn to manage their time when they're 12 and 13 and 14, they don't learn how to pick between the goods, they don't learn how to say no, they don't learn how to act on promptings that come to them, they have to learn it when they're 40, you know, or, or they're not going to accomplish what they know they should accomplish. 
No matter what, it has to be learned. It has to be learned. If they want happiness and success and to become who, you know, their potential. But there are ideal times to learn things. And that's what's so nice if you, if we see in seasons because we know, oh, now's the time to learn this. I'm not, you know, my little six-year-old, she's, she's playing reading games and she's learning to read, but I know what is the most important thing for her to learn. Right. It, it's the most important thing for her to learn to obey, just like you said about your son, to see consequences, <laughs> mm-hmm. to love what is right and good and see the difference between good and bad. I mean, it's, it's, it's all there. I know the most important things for her to learn. And, the, and it's great if she can learn other things at this age, too, but I know where her number one, two, and three are, and we're going to get there. Because you understand the season she's in, that's right. you're going to be able to identify her most, her highest priority. That's right. There are other types of phases that I want to talk about. Balance-oriented people deny nature phases. It doesn't fit. When they keep the fulcrum right in the center, it doesn't fit. For instance... <coughs> deny nature? I, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you exactly what I... I'm going to tell you that in two instances. The literal... And the metaphorical. We we homeschool, and sometimes it's really easy to just match the other school systems around because it seems harder to fight them than to match them. And so I thought I'd follow the same school year, start in September, and in June, blah, blah, blah. We At that year, we decided to move up by my husband's folks, and I was all determined to start school in September and have a four- or five-hour you know, good love of learning school day with my kids. I had three kids of learning. And lo and behold, <laughs> Grandma's garden was ready to harvest. And September is harvest time. <laughs> that's right. It was harvest time. And if I spent half the day in school, we lost half the food. And I fought it for the first week. I kept trying to do reading. I kept trying to read with my kids. I kept trying to do this and this and that. And watching Grandma in there put up all the beans and do all the tomatoes and, and go out and pick all the grapes that we're going to freeze soon and go out. And, and I just finally thought, this is a joke. This season is to harvest, and it's going to take us a good month and a half to harvest, and we're going to get a good education harvesting. <laughs> literally, literally not denying the physical seasons. And put up the books, and we spent 10 hours a day harvesting. And we you know, still I, have food from it. Can I comment on this? I think yeah. it's an interesting concept, this whole thing, thinking in these seasons. I do realize, especially in level learning core phase, really realize that if you allow the season to be the season that it is, and say the season is to harvest, okay, allow it to be that, the next season is for them to learn to read, and they're all over on top of it. Their ability to <coughs> their ability to learn to read is so much more effective. Their their the time used is so much more effective. You know, absolutely. <coughs> they're, they're they're sick of harvesting and they're ready to use their minds. <laughs> and yeah. not just that, they just use their little nimble fingers and created all of the neural pathways pathways <coughs> in their brain so they can pick up on reading. That's right. Um, there is so much evidence that supports the physical seasons and the metaphorical seasons. There are 
major phases. I know that I've heard Oliver DeMille at Georgewood College comment several times when they consider where to put the permanent Georgewood College, and they absolutely want a place that has all four seasons. He says, if you live in a place of winter, good hard winters, it creates really good students. And, you know, that means that people over in San Diego who have 70 degrees most of the time, they've got to look at that and realize, man, we've got a little bit of a challenge to keep studying in the winter. It's not freezing outside. The kids can go outside more, but we really want them to hit the books 10 hours a day. They have to face the fact that they have a different physical season and accommodate or go with it and try and learn those things in a in a different environment than if they had a winter winter cold season. Well, even still, if you look at if you look at places that don't have a summer winter, you know, the four seasons, they do have a rainy season and a and a or a dry season and a wet season. They still the weather still gives them a them. sense of change. Yes. yes, absolutely. There are and I understand in California they're having winter. Yes, they are. <laughs> okay, so there's nature phases. People who see in, in seasons can see nature phases. And I want to talk about the metaphorical phase. In our life, we go through winters, springs, summers, and falls. Winters are usually trials. They are outside difficulties that we cannot control they must be submitted to. And I have a cold. I probably can't even tell what word I just said. Submitted. <laughs> Submitted. <laughs> <laughs> and the skills that are needed to make it through a winter is submission. That That is a really big skill, the, the ability to submit and the ability to visualize spring. Let me ask you the question. Sorry, I, that was really important. I interrupted that. You'll have to repeat that, but my my question is, if if we don't learn submission in our winters, what what is the consequence? More pain is what I believe. And Do we, we have don't to learn... continue in trying to learn submission? I think so. I, I think that, that we spiral up and we learn different levels. Once we learn one lesson, we don't have to learn that lesson again. We get to go into a new one. <laughs> we get to grow and become and become. Mm-hmm. And... One of the things that that you do in winter is you have hope. See, if if you pretend like it's not winter and you just keep going on working and working, you're not developing hope. You're just denying what it is. But if you have a person who's in winter, then they have hope. In, in spring, the quality isn't trial, it's creation. The skills that are needed are hard work. I, I, I'm, th- I'm listening to you here, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I can really see how I in my life go through winter, spring, summers, and falls. But, you know, Tiffany, really, I mean, think about this. How real, How pragmatic is this? How realistic is this that other people will allow you to be in a winter? Our culture doesn't necessarily, that's what I'm saying, is that, it, a lot of these things are denied, and they need to be, honestly, for us to have more joy in our life and more fulfillment, it will come if we can see this way. Because just, just even take, I'll, I'll tell you, I was so impressed with the San Diego community when one of our teachers, we've had, you know, we've seen all of our teachers go through times 
when they've been in a winter or in a summer or a fall or whatever. But I remember too. I remember one of our teachers was going through a winter when when Stacy Harbour's little girl died, and her community went into winter with her and mourned with her. They stopped classes for a month, and they were in winter, and they were mourning, and it ended up changing their focus, and they changed their classes, they changed their syllabus, they changed what they were doing, and they allowed the season to be what it was and moved them into spring. Wow. And her whole community backed up and, and supported what had happened because they felt impact. And so, yeah, sometimes, sometimes we will deny the different seasons that each other are in, but if we understand these, it gives us permission to not deny it, to move with it. It's really hard to speak with this. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so let me keep going with this so that each of us can recognize where we're at. In spring, we need to work hard. And, of course, we need to see why we're working because we're going to harvest something. Can I ask you, we kind of skipped a couple of things. You said the quality of spring was creation. Yeah. And when you were talking about winter, you gave us a, we needed to learn something and we needed to develop something. We need to learn it, submission it, and we need to skills, develop. The skill for spring is hard work. The skill? Yeah. Okay. In summer, it's kind of similar to spring but different. We feel joy in summer. It's very bright. It's it's just a it's a very happy time. That's kind of one of the qualities of it that you can recognize what it is by. Oh, I must be in a summer. But what we have to be aware of is the hard work. It's called stick-to-itiveness. In summer, we have to have stick-to-itiveness. Oh, because when we're in a place of joy and happiness, sometimes we just want to play. Yeah. But the reason why we have that joy is because we work so darn hard. <laughs> and so we have to have that stick-to-itiveness in summer. Say, let's look at our education. I call education. it finishing power. Yep, it's finishing power. That's exactly what it is. It's, it's part of the finishing power. It's the middle part of the finishing power. Mm-hmm. It's not quite because fall is where it really or is finishing power. power. It's sustaining power. Yeah, staying power. Yep. And that's what we have. Like our kids right now... In education, like my son is in the sustaining power. It's already the end of January. He's still got four months to go. He's got four months behind him. He's right dab in the middle. He's got to have staying power right now. Mm-hmm. Make sense? Yeah. And, but he's also having joy in his hard work already. He's yeah. already seeing, oh, man, I've almost got my sword earned. <laughs> yeah. You know? He could he could feel it. He could taste it. He knows that production time is around the corner, and they're going to have tryouts. And you know, but he's got mm-hmm. to stick to it. Okay, in the fall, how you know if you're in fall is your harvesting, and which can yes, be a lot of joy too. But absolutely, absolutely, and yes, you have to have the finishing power here. I don't know how many gardens I've done that I haven't put up all the food <laughs> because the finishing power. Mm-hmm. And you need to be wise and prepare for winter. Oh. Some winters are light, some winters are heavy. Uh, there's nothing that illustrates this better than Laura Ingalls' Little House on the Prairie series. 
to see this over. You can see it in their relationships. You can see it where they lived. You can see it how they physically had to live. Their society absolutely could not deny the seasons. There are mild winters and there are heavy winters. They had a winter so heavy that, and it was more heavy. It was the heaviest winter they ever had, yes, and it was the worst winter they ever had because they had failed to prepare. They had relied on, it was blizzard, and they got sewed in, and the train could not bring wheat or food, and they had actually finally moved into a city, into a town, and they did not have their own storage. And the town almost starved. Okay, so we often fight winter the hardest. Different things can be winters in our life. I'm just going to mention some of these things, hassling the small children sometimes. We we need to use our skill of reasoning that it won't last forever. Now, I wanted to finish the story real quick. <laughs> so we could, skill of reasoning? <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll finish the story so we can move on to some of the other stuff. That I had the opportunity again to have another baby five years after I had Melody. And once again, I found myself as almost as sick as, as when I was pregnant with her. The, the first day I found that I was supposed to go to this function, there were about 50 people there. I'd paid this money to, to build these clocks, and, and I was supposed to go, and I, and I was so sick. <laughs> I had just begun to get sick, didn't realize how bad it was going to be because I, for some reason, it gets worse if I get around people or leave the house, and I was on my bed. It took me two hours to get dressed because I was so sick. I just kept... I'd sit up and I just kept shaking and shaking and shaking and crying and crying and crying. I'd go in the bathroom to do my hair and just cry and cry and cry and go back in my room. Oh my and, goodness! And finally, I called my husband in and he helped me put my pants on and he helped me button up my shirt and I asked him to put my hair up in a ponytail and I found some makeup and I put it on and I went and I did the thing I was supposed to. I brought my daughter along. She did all the work for me. I just stood there. I came back. I got undressed. I got my jammies. And I had learned my lesson, and I said to my husband, I said, Rick, I'm not leaving this house for two and a half months. I looked at the calendar. I said, on January 4th, I will be over the morning sickness. It's true. And I will leave the house. I will be a witness of that. And it was January I, 4th. <laughs> I said. It was the longest two and a half months of my life. <laughs> I said, I am in winter. I'm not fighting it this time. I'm not going to church. I'm not going to the grocery store. I am not, I'm not leaving, I'm not getting up, I'm not going to put myself through the kind of pain that I just put myself in. And my best friend and partner <laughs> was dead. That's right. I talked <laughs> on the phone like this. And But it was the best winter I have ever had because I knew what I was in, and every day I would go move my bed onto the couch, and my little five-year-old would bring all of her ponies and all of her dollies and all of her stuff. She'd play around me all day long. We hired somebody who came in and took care of things around the house. It was the best winter I ever had. Because you just submitted to it. You allowed it to be. I allowed it to happen. Wow. And I, and I knew what I was in. And I and spent the last two, two years talking about ever having another baby. <laughs> and our whole family worked hard to get our little Michael Paul here. So it was much different than when I had been pregnant with Melanie. I had kept trying to do everything. When I was pregnant with Melanie, I threw up. 50, 47 times, and every time I left the house, because it got worse when I did things, or when I would get up and work, I would throw up. That is what happened. And it, I was made myself so sick, I tore my throat and was bleeding in my throat. 
Mm. That is how sick that I made myself. And with this one, I only threw up three times, and it was when my sister came and was a guest in my house after she'd had her baby. Her baby was only four days old, and I thought it was better for me to get up and work than for her to get up and work. And it's true it was, but those were the only three times I threw up and Mm. made myself, you know, be so sick, and it was because I chose it. Oh, wow. I mean, it just just even that little difference. But we're sitting here talking about this, I, and I know we have men on our call, and I know that it has nothing to do with pregnancy. It has to do with, with seasons. If we fight spring, we miss creation. If we fight summer, we miss joy. And you if, know what I think is sometimes a, a tendency for us to do is to fight spring because it is it's a lot of work. It's, yeah. it's, it's all. It seems like all preparation. You I, know I, what I learned? I would tell <laughs> you a secret. If you didn't fight the winter, then you won't fight the spring, and here's why. You want more than anything in the world in a winter, and what you, is you want is the ability to work. See, because trials oh. are outside things that are put upon us that we cannot oh. change. No matter how hard we work, we cannot change it. Okay, mm-hmm. those are trials. Those are outside circumstances put upon us. Mm-hmm. It's that's different than a than a trap. That's different mm-hmm. than. But, well, I'm saying it wrong. They're actually tests. They're, they're they're outside things that are put upon us, and and you can't change them. And so when spring finally comes, because you are you so anxious to work. <laughs> you have to pass. Yes, that's right. Trials you have, you have to, to overcome. Yeah. The tra- no traps you have to overcome, and trials you have to endure. Yeah, that's true. So they're tests or trials. I'd have to say they're tests, traps, and trials. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. If we fight the fall, then we miss the harvest. And if we fight winter, we live in despair instead of in hope. I grew up, I grew up with dancing as a youth. And I remember it was so important, our, our instructor taught us over and over and over again, he, he would say, ladies, he would say, women, learn how to follow your partner. And he would say, men, learn how to lead. And if we both knew the next move, sometimes the women would go there without waiting for the men to lead. But mm. when I submitted, when I waited for my partner, for the man to lead me, magic happened. It looked better. It felt better. My partner could be more creative. It literally unleashed creativity and the beauty of the form of the dance. He could take me anywhere he wanted. The friction was gone. It was not two wills pitted against each other. So I remember you said that if we need to see in cycles and phases and relationships, and this is a relationship you're talk, a thing you're talking about, relationship with the season. That's right. Oh, we need oh. to follow the lead of our season. So it's not two wheels pitted against each other with all this friction. I remember one time before you went into surgery, when you went into the emergency room, you told us that you were crying, moaning, and sick, and your husband went over and sat by you, and he just told you, breathe and relax, and it will be easier to bear the pain. And and he told you it's not going to last forever. And he tried to have you have hope so that you wouldn't sink into despair. And it was... It was because I didn't know what was wrong with me. Yeah, and you learned to move through the pain instead of fighting it. Yeah. Okay. 
Let me ask you the question. Okay, I'm, uh, that's a really good analogy, you know. There's something wrong with me. I had no idea what was wrong with me. And it, it scared me. I was feeling a lot of fear. I was feeling a lot. I, I was crying. You know, I was mostly was, I was crying because I was afraid. Right, and, and it I increased think, your pain. It, yeah, and it increased my pain. But is it okay in a winter to feel those kinds of emotions? Yeah, what you do when you feel those kinds of emotions is you move through them. You can change the emotion not to be so negative. You can okay. feel hurt. And so you pain. don't resist it. Just move through the emotion, allow it right. to be the emotion that it is. Right, right. But and you don't it, want to keep fear. You want to change fear for hope. Just exactly like when we're in a summer and there's all this joy and happiness, we can't be afraid of the next season or we'll miss the beautiful joy and happiness that we're having, right? Yeah. That yeah. we just need to move through the moment, allow the joy and happiness to be in us, to be part yeah. of us, and not be afraid of what's around the corner or how long this is going to last. Or yeah, and it takes it takes a balance, Penelope, and I'm really learning this a lot from you. From takes a it takes the ability to future think as well as being in the now. When you're in seasons, you always know what's next. You know where you just came, and you know exactly where you're at now. Let's talk about some of the cycles that we see if we see in seasons. What about the Tytler cycle? What if what if you didn't see in balance or you just saw in balance, you didn't move the fulcrum? Would you understand the Tytler cycle? Let's go through the Tytler cycle real quick. <coughs> At the top, <laughs> there's bondage. Then to get out of bondage uh, is the seed of spiritual faith and great courage and the obtaining of liberty, and then there's a season of abundance. A natural place that can come right after this is selfishness and pride. That leads to complacency and then apathy and dependence and finally bondage again. We're interrupting this broadcast to invite you to ask questions or share your epiphanies in the comments section. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider leaving us a good review on the platform you are using, because that really helps others find our content. Also, check out our website at lemmymentortraining.com. We can look throughout history and see this cycle over and over and over again. If we don't see in cycles, we can't say, okay, I'm not going to move from abundance to selfishness. I'm going to change the cycle and do what it takes to stay in spiritual faith. Or, if we can't see in cycles, we can't look at that and say, gosh, man, where are we? <laughs> oh, so what you're saying is, oh, this is really an interesting thing. So what you're, you, you just got through saying that we need to learn how to future think and prepare for the next season, and yet... And yet we need to be in the in the moment and allow the emotion that that we're feeling to to be with us. So if we see in cycles that we can understand how to prepare for the next cycle, and we and maybe we won't fall into the bad cycles. Maybe we'll make our next winter a good winter for us. We won't exactly. keep falling I mean, into the bad You don't bad usually hear somebody habit. say exactly. You don't usually hear somebody say that was the best winter I ever had. You know. That's not what that unless unless they've learned how to submit to it. Let's look at the Tyler cycle. Let's see where what season we're in as a nation. 
where would you say we're at? <laughs> you know, we've, I've been in our Beyond TJYC class. We've been really talking a lot about this because we're studying making of America, and we're we're studying actually a lot of Eastern philosophy. And the one thing that, and kind of doing some comparison, and the one thing that we have noticed in the Eastern philosophy is that when a nation, particularly China, we're studying right now, they came to a place in the the late 1400s, early 1500s, where they were very industrious. They invented almost everything before the Western world invented it. They had a list of all the amazing things they invented before the Western world even knew that they existed, like the plow and iron and, you know, of course, we, we know they invented gunpowder. Almost everything we n- use, they invented first. It's in a book called The Genius of China. But what happened was they were, they, they were coming fr- through a real abundant time. And because they were coming into that abundant time, they started this amazing phase of invention. And when they had a new emperor who, who who just took for granted that they were going to be a superpower, you know. And because he thought, oh, look, we have all this stuff, and they, they really didn't compare themselves to the Western world yet because they didn't know very much about the Western world. But they they were feeling prideful about all the abundance that they have. That they had bored them. Yes. Ah. And so what happened was the emperor said, you know what? We have all this stuff. Let's go start conquering. And they started conquering. They started leaving their home, and they started actually losing their technology. Wow. Because they kept they they started leaving their homes, and he and he started putting all the money and effort in, into conquering and exploring. So we've been doing some comparison of maybe maybe some of the things that we experience. The cycles, right? Yeah, you're and training I, them to see that way. There there are certain skills that we need to train our youth and ourselves that we need in order to be seasons oriented. One of them is the ability to identify what unit you are in, what phase you're in, what is your role, what cycle, what season. For instance, you could ask yourself, in education, what phase am I in? In your re- in relationships or in other other parts of your life, what cycles are you in? Where am I in my nature phases? Am I in a winter right now? Am I in a spring? What, where am I in my nature phases? The next skill that we need to be able to to have to see through in seasons is the ability to know what your focus should be this season. I've identified this ability as literally what marks the difference between people who end up having a lot of impact and a lot of influence on other people is this next ability. I know that for me... I constantly try and hone this ability, but I know where I learned it. <laughs> a lot of it came from, from working with with Oliver DeMille, and that is what should I be focused on this season? What is my number one focus? You ask yourself, if I do it, my life is right. If you don't do it in one year, your life will be in trouble. 
Just write it down, the thing that she needs right now. Okay, so let me let me clarify. You you want us to identify the season we're in. Maybe our, in our education, is that what you're saying? And in your life, uh, okay. all of it. You need to know, most of you know exactly where you're at in education. Even, like, I'm in a productive work hard. Like, I know that. My life right now is a very, very work hard season right now. You're in a spring. I'm probably more in the summer. It could, yeah, it really could be spring. It's in the middle of there. I'm working hard. Because the next thing around the corner is going to be if you're in, uh, if you come into a summer, then you have to learn the staying power. Yeah, uh, that's where I'm at right now. Uh, okay. Is just the the whole staying power, just right right after spring. Okay. That's that's where I'm at right now, and they don't necessarily go three months, three months, three months. The, you have to realize that you could have a very short phase. The time frame is different. Somebody literally could be in winter for a whole year. My sister's been in a winter almost her whole life. You know, she, she'll with have her to disease. Mini cycles with hers then. Yeah, it is. She literally will have to. <coughs> and she does. She creates. She creates mini cycles for herself. Yeah. So. Hopefully you've identified something. If I do it, my life is right right now. Here's the crazy thing is we get in our mind. I remember when I got it in my mind, I thought, I want to finish the mentor book with Oliver. I am going to write two hours every day. And that was just what I decided. That's what was in my mind. In the back of my mind, it was, gosh, this is the only time we've lived by Grandma and Grandpa I really ought to take advantage of everything that they have to teach us, but taking two hours off out of the day isn't going to hurt. I'm still going to write. And so I forced myself. I learned a really big lesson here. I made myself write for two hours every day. In the four months that I did this, we progressed one chapter. (laughs) Yeah, one chapter. And finally I backed up and I thought, why am I forcing this? There is no wind beneath my wings. None. Why am I forcing this? I did a lot of soul searching. I changed. (laughs) I submitted to what I was in. And that week, we wrote a whole entire chapter. And I knew I was supposed to take the next several months off and not focus on the book. And Because you were able to to identify your season. Yeah, I was able to. (laughs) To realize, no, I picked the wrong number one, number two, number three. Part of it okay, was season so one, but it was the focus. It was where I was, uh, my focus that season should have, my number one should have been the just having a love of learning environment at Grandma and Grandpa's house. Totally different than the hard work phase of, it, it was really supposed to be like a fall, harvest, relationships and, and you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Falls aren't easy to submit to either. They're work, but it's a different kind of work. Mm-hmm. And I was still going to push through and, and maintain a, a hard work phase for my book. Mm-hmm. Here's what I here's what I gleaned from that to to share the the example. One time we had big huge deadlines at Lemmy. We had a training to get ready for. We had we had four big huge deadlines. And I very, very specifically remember going on a date with my husband and saying, these things are really important. They're going to become my number one. Can you support me? Do I need to change them? How do you feel? Blah, blah, blah. Went to bed that night. 
and I had a dream. And I was at the tail end of my pregnancy with Michael. In my dream, I lost my baby. And I was holding him, and I lost him. And I remember waking up in a total sweat, saying over and over, out loud, in my bed, sitting up, holding my belly, I picked the wrong number one. I picked the wrong number one. I'll pick a different one. I'll pick a different one. And I called you that day, Melody. I remember Mm -hmm. this, and I said, I know that we have a PowerPoint presentation that we have to do that should take about 40 hours. I can't do it. I know we have training to get ready for. I can't do it. I know we, and I said, I cannot do any of these things. And I also, because I submitted to what it was I needed to do, which was simply maintain your health, my health. And that had been my number one. And that was a huge focus for you. You had to maintain your health. I had to maintain my health so that I didn't lose the baby. And then, and here was the thing that shocked me. This is how I learned to tell if the wind is beneath your wings. Because okay? I'd already learned before that fighting it is stupid. Right. <laughs> you don't. You do not. So I'd had the baby. Blah blah blah. We were working <coughs> together again, and we said, "Well, we better get that PowerPoint presentation done." And literally, what should have taken us forty hours took us two. Took, took two hours. In fifteen minutes, we had all fifty slides decided, and it took us a half an hour to create them and some time to edit them. Well, and I had done a lot of preparation beforehand to get ready to to sit a bunch of things in, so it really literally took us two hours. Yeah, two hours instead of at least 40. That's what I've learned also happens when we are willing to submit to... It's exactly with our children. When yeah. we allow them in, to be in the seasons that they're in, in the phase that they're in, the learning is so much more efficient. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you just take the the, the little things like my little girl has found a, a third-grade math reading workbook. It, it was a math book. That's a workbook. And she's been working on it thinking, oh, you know, I, I feel so bad because I'm in fifth grade and look at these third-grade things that I'm learning and, and worksheet after worksheet after worksheet. And I saw her feeling so bad. I finally went over and I looked at it. And in an hour, I taught her the three principles she didn't know in that book, and I said, forget doing all these worksheets. Do one <laughs> worksheet on each principle, and let's go to the next book. That's right. And all of a sudden, we realized the next book had the same things in it over and over. And so did the fifth grade one, and so did the sixth grade one. Mm-hmm. And and I thought, <laughs> I thought you, you, you're not in the season of wasting your time. <laughs> That's not what you need to do. <laughs> <laughs> of wasting time. <laughs> That's right. You don't need to do work. The, really the really wonderful thing is when we allow them to be in those seasons and we don't waste their time, they can learn so many more other things that will enrich their lives. And well, that's what, that's what we did in Melody. I drew a circle for her, and I drew pies all over it, little pieces of the pie in the circle, and I said, Look at what you've got to learn, this right here. I said, all of your peers might be able already to do these few math skills, but can they do this and this and this and this and this? Can they make pie when they're only 10 years old? Can I just tell you, Laura makes a killer pie. Yes, she does. (laughs) And she she makes bread and she sews quilts. She's pretty darn amazing at 10 years old. Yeah. And then literally in a month, She's up to where they're at in fifth grade math skills. I said, so look at this. 
Look how beautiful this is. And I said, Amara, here's the crazy thing. You went and got the math book. <laughs> yeah, you're the one who showed the initiative yeah. because you knew you needed it in your life. That's right. You got it. You went and picked it up. That alone is a difference than, than And I will tell peers. you, if you look at Erickson's model, and she's between the ages of 6 and 12, and she's supposed to be use, she's supposed to be learning industry. My goodness, the kind of industry she's learning. Yeah. Yeah. It amazes me to think, gosh, if I was forcing my child to do something at that age, what would I what would they learn, lose? Industry, productivity, you know, anyway. Well, Tiffany, I'm I'm very fascinated by this seasons. And I really want to learn the skill and the, the ability to foc- to know what my focus is and, and identify my one, two, and three. Do you have any help for me? I do. I know that it, it takes time to develop this ability, and, and this is one of the biggest abilities that are... You have a mentor like you that will help me do that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that you have to become sensitive to... I know one time one of our teachers, and she might be on this call with us, and I'm not going to say names because... I haven't asked her for permission to share. I know one time she called me. She knew she needed a coaching session, and she called. Within five minutes of listening to her, I knew what it was. She called and was just, that's just it. Sometimes you <laughs> need direction. She called. She said, here's what's going on in my life. I'm committed to this and this and this and this, and my husband needs me to do this, and I know I need to do this, but I've got to finish this out, and I've got this and this and this to do, and I know I need to do this, but... And it was all these buts. And I finally said, stop. You have told me you're number one, you're number two, and you're number three, and they are not your number one, two, or three. Then she said, what? I said, you have told me, you know exactly what your number one, two, and three are, and you're not doing them. What are they? (laughs) I said, your number one is your husband needs you. He needs you. You have told me over and over what oh, he needs, wow. and he needs you. I said, your number two is, you've been feeling it, you said, for, for six months, and you haven't done it, and you told me now 20 times that if you did it, your life would be better. Do it. It will take you a month. Do it. She said she needed to clean out every drawer in her house and organize them. Oh, so she needed to do a purge. Yeah, she needed to do a purge. And everything in her life was backed up because she hadn't submitted to the purge. And I'll bet you her husband, who needed her, needed that purge. He did. He needed that purge. I bet they were related. The one and the two is what I'm saying. Yes. In fact, they were. And her number three was, here she had all these academic commitments, and her most important one was that her kids read their core book by a certain deadline. I said, why don't you do it? Can I? Why not? Why don't you do it? Why don't? So what that you're behind? The deadline's still up ahead. Push through and do it. I said, you have told me you're number one, two, and three. Oh, wow. Just go home and do it. That's so interesting, Tiffany. I, you know, I don't mean to get too personal here, but I have been feeling the same way in our school. <clears throat> My kids are now doing homeschool, well, home study in their religious studies. <clears throat> and I've sort of assumed the responsibility of that, whereas they've had mentors, teachers in the past who've done that. And I have felt really strongly that I need to spend some time with them, helping them through these these lessons that we've been doing in their court, in their in their scriptures. And we we literally take until almost eleven o'clock every morning. 
from you know from breakfast time to eleven o'clock, we are literally going through those through these scriptures, and I and I, I step away from that and think, oh my gosh, I'm spending so much time doing this that I'm not getting this and this and this done, and I'm thinking, should should I be allowing this? And I have to tell you, you just have this quiet feeling of it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. Right. And you know what? Okay. I want to tell you, I yesterday. Yesterday, I had the most amazing experience with my kids in my home. Because of what we you allowed to happen? We went to the next level. Wow. Because of what we did. And wow. I, I can't even begin to tell you because we pushed through that, the blessing that we have in this home now. Because I got up that morning and God told me, I am working a miracle in your house. And oh. it happened. Because you could allow that that season. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> after after we listen to the thing that is in the back of our head, I need to do this. I need to do this. I need to do this. Sometimes we do fight it. I know. I know. Like I after after I came up off of morning sickness, I had expected to make homeschooling my number one, and I was really shocked that when it I wasn't. was supposed to make it my health. I was very upset, and I fought it for three weeks until finally the thought came piercing through my mind, if you do not work on your health, it will take you three years to get where you could be the day after you have the baby. And when that thought came into my head, I just finally said, okay, fine. And you know what the beautiful thing is, when you work, when you, when you work on what you're supposed to be working on then, you're teaching your children at the same time. And that's why the, even the so say go be do ability to hear and to listen and to sense the communication from heaven to our intellect. Yeah. That's literally what it is. It is literally submitting to our creator instead of to all of his creations that are all around us all the time. And that is literally how we know what our number one, two, and three is. I heard the story my friend went to an incredible training by Dr. DeMille, and he told the story that he thought he should be focusing on fundraising one summer. And he finally put it out there and said, is this what I'm supposed to be focusing on? And he felt that he was supposed to work on his own education. So that summer, or that month, or whatever it was, I don't know how It was a whole summer. It was a instead, summer. Yeah, instead of doing he, fundraising. That's right. He read 480 books. And talk about moving the fulcrum. That's you know, he probably thought he was going to have lots of time with his kids and, oh, and going out with them and fundraising and, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so he moved so the fulcrum. Because, you know, this, the same, hap- same thing happens in everybody's lives. I see it all o- over and over and over again. And people, when they're in resistance of what it should be like right now, I'm literally, I'm, I'm piled in, in 20 books right now. I'm spending most of my day studying and reading, which is not me, normal. I, it's not, I'm a worker, but I'm studying right now, and I know it's my season to study. Wow. Now I'm thinking to myself, oh, oh, I'm going to yield the fruit from this. That's right. Well, you and I just barely had this conversation when we had our planning meeting a week ago. We said, we've got three books to write. When should we do it? And you remember we got together and said, now is not the time. Yeah. We are supposed to be in education full bloom with our children, with ourselves, and that is what we are supposed to be That's doing. Right. We are not supposed to be writing our books right now. 
It takes a sensitivity. Well, that's what happened to Oliver. He read those 480 books, and what happened that fall? He said that his students achieved ten times what any other group of students had ever achieved just because of what he had personally done as their leader. He says it's like a magnet. You hold it up and everything just goes, whoo, just comes right up to it. Our our focuses make a really, really big difference. After, let's, let's now move on, because after you pick your number one, your number two, and your number three, you have to submit to the season that you're in, make the decision, take the emotional effort to submit, and then, number four, create systems and routines around the number one, two, and three. I see. So when I knew my number one before was health, I I literally found a mentor and got a whole bunch of books. It it took me, I met with her once a week, and I learned different health skills, good nutrition stuff. I cook differently now. I can use whole grains. I can sprout. I can make green drinks. You know, I just I just got with her, invited her over once a week. She brought her kids over. They played. I learned, you know, something every week. Mm-hmm. And I the biggest thing that I learned was her habits. I, the skills were important to me, but I wanted her habits. Yeah. And I learned her habits. She reads cookbooks from front to back. She spends time every Sunday night looking at her cookbooks, deciding what's going to happen that week. She doesn't like, she's very different than me. Her system is very different than me. She does not like to lock herself into, she likes to decide the night before what the next day's menu is. I like to decide a whole month's menu and not have to think (laughs) because I so hate, I hate that arena of my life and I'm learning to love it, but I'd rather not have to think about it. (laughs) You know what I mean? So we had different systems that we came up with, but I learned her habits, and they became part of my life, and I created my system. Wow. Let me ask you, Tiffany. So you spent time doing that in that season and really working on that, and now you created habits. It's part of your life, right? Yeah. I mean, you don't have to go back, and maybe you have to have renewal again sometime, but you don't have to go back. It's the sharp and the saw. I've got the habits. I've got the skills, but you can lose them. You can okay, lose so, the habit. So you need to you need to have time sharpening the saw. And I'll tell you where it takes place. It <laughs> takes place in your weekly meeting with your spouse if you're married, where you say, where you actually analyze how you're doing with your major goal. Like health is a major goal to us. So we say, gosh, have we let sugar foods from Walmart creep in, or are we still making our desserts homemade with honey? Hmm. So that's where you could analyze and say, how are, you know, are, are we getting off track over here? Are we doing okay right here? Um, so that's, and do you tell your husband, this is my one, this is my two, this is my three, and these are my focus right now, and that's what we're doing? I absolutely or, or do you allow him to give you some guidance? I mean, what? how do you work that out? Right. I mean, I'm just thinking, you know, I have a husband who is really concerned, really wants to know that my kids are getting the kind of education that they need to get and and you know for him schoolwork is number 1 all the time for me yeah, yeah. and he wants me to have schoolwork as my priority my number 1 I'll be really honest with you half the reason why I couldn't submit to winter when I was pregnant with Melanie is because Rick wouldn't face it my, my he wouldn't face the fact that I couldn't have dinner ready he wouldn't face the fact that I that I actually needed to be in bed the entire day and so no I at that point I did not have his support, and it didn't help. It didn't make anything better. It didn't make him have better meals. 
it made me more sick. So absolutely the relationship, if you're married, that you have with your spouse makes a difference. With Michael's pregnancy, our whole family was supportive of it. Laura made breakfast every day. Jacob made dinner every night. The nanny made lunch every I mean, we were like 100 over one. And I really think it's because Rick and I were six over one. That is why. So, no, I absolutely, even like that time when when I thought that Lemmy was going to be number one with all those things and Rick said okay and then realized it was wrong and we talked the next day because, oh, yeah, that feels much better, (laughs) you know. But we do. We counsel together. That's so difficult. But, you know, sometimes that has to be your number one, your just your being able to counsel with one another. Being yeah. able to get on the same page with one another. Sometimes that's just your number one. We gotta yeah. get on the same page. <laughs> yeah, that, and it can take years. That's why seasons are not daily things. You gotta look at it in cycles and in, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Sometimes the number one is a, is an ability. I know one of my number ones <clears throat> once was learning not to be angry and, and actually not just, I had never been an angry person growing up and for some reason, I after one of my babies, I think it was the postpartum depression, I was getting angry all the time. And I it, it was my number one for like three quarters. Wow. It it was I had to learn it and and I've learned it. In each season you had to learn it. Yeah. Oh wow. I I, I just had to continue that number one on. I know that the health one had to stay number one for two quarters. I thought it was only gonna be number one for one. Mm. That you know, a couple years ago. I know right now my number one of my number one, twos, and threes is the education of our kids, and so we've created the system around it. That's why create the systems and routines around these sometimes takes a few weeks to do, but if you don't, it won't happen. You know, I think this is very interesting because I'm looking back on my experience with my marriage, let's say, okay, and I can remember a time when my marriage was in a winter. And you know what? I am so realizing that because I learned submission, to my marriage in that winter because I made my number one his number one, my marriage went to the next level. Wow. So interesting to think about that. It's so interesting to, okay, here's, I've got this note here and I'm going to just jump to it. People who see in seasons can see relationships because relationships impact we, they actually see life as a whole, and part of it is relationships. So where you're saying that, it is very important. My husband is is a big factor in what my number one, two, and three is. My children are. My relationships often dictate my number one, two, and threes. Hmm. And that you can move with it. It's like a wave coming in, splashing on the shore, you know. that You've got the beach, you've got the water, and they you know, impact each other. They're mm-hmm. one. You can't have one without the other. You can't have the water without the beach. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can't have the beach without the water. Yeah. And and so they're, they're one. After, number five, after you have the systems and the routines, you become farsighted and unselfish. You now can see yourself related to your spouse, your family, your community, your nation. And each of these have phases and units and seasons. Okay, I just, in people who see balance without moving the fulcrum, they always keep it in the same place. Their units are daily, hourly, weekly, monthly. They have to-do lists that, that they usually consistently fail to complete. Well, what you're telling us 
is that we have to we have to change our paradigm of thinking completely. Yeah, just change our thinking. Totally, it's not to do list. It's systems. Like the system in my home right now is we literally do school till three or four o'clock every day, Monday through Thursday. Hmm. You see, in terms of, of systems and and what's going to make your number one, twos, and threes happen, people and seasons see units differently. They see quarterly, they see yearly, they see phases, nature phases, cycles, educational phases, all of that. Here's some skills. A, identify where you are. B, ask what your focus should be. C, submit. D, create systems and routines. E, see the relations. See yourself related to your spouse to your family, to your community, to your work, to your nation, to your mission. And then G, here's another skill. It's called task power. Uh-huh. We've got about five more minutes. We want. There's two things we want to talk about. This was incredible. There are six powers. We're not going to talk about them. I'm only going to talk about one because it pertains to this, the ability to see in seasons. And there are two different kinds of task power. And people are naturally usually good at one, not necessarily or the other, other. Or the other. But we need to become, we absolutely need to become good at both. Right. We have to develop our ability and grow our ability in both kinds of task power. One kind of task power is daily routine. Every day brush your teeth. <laughs> Every day fix your hair. Every day read in your core book. Every day meditate. Every day, you know, practice your instrument. It's it's daily, daily tasks. Daily tasks. That that's the one that I have to work on harder than the other one. The other one is chunky power. <laughs> chunk time. You chunk out time and you work yourself to death or whatever. Like when <laughs> Melody, when I've seen you do this so many times when you have. A niece getting married and you sew her dress. Yeah. You know, there's I do it in 24 hours. That's right. You do it in 24 hours and you're done. (laughs) That's right. Um, I tell everyone, okay, I'm taking the next two days. I'm sewing a wedding dress. You're doing this, 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 and this, and this. You're taking this, 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 and this. And I, I make my day, I eliminate my day to the very least amount of things I have to do. Get up. Take a shower, brush my teeth, you know. Yeah. Do those 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 absolute half to must tasks in the morning and then I sew all day long. And all night. And all night. <laughs> and the next day I do the same thing and the yeah. dress is done. That's right. That's right. I know sometimes we have to write or or do the work that we need to do. Some things are better done chunk and sometimes we have to ask. You know, like when Anelity and I make a writing schedule for ourselves, we're like, hey, do we want to write every day for two hours for the next six months? Or yeah. do we want to take three weeks and chunk it? Right. My husband's excellent at this. You know, he's written a book on his lunch hour. Yeah. You know, that, I mean, literally for last I year. Had to grow, I had to grow my ability to write. I could, I could focus for about two hours. I didn't have the ability to chunk writing, actually, until about a year ago. When Oliver and I were writing... I could write two hours a day. I could not chunk an entire Saturday. Like if I asked my husband, can you take the kids all day Saturday, I, I still couldn't do it. I didn't have the ability. I hadn't grown it yet. Now I can do it. I can chunk three weeks of writing. 
morning till night, <laughs> you know, with little breaks in between. But and I can, and that's what I do with uh, my study time. I really like the chunk time, and yeah. so I won't do two hours a day. I just I just can't do it. Yeah. So I will take five hours on Tuesday and five hours on Saturday. That's my ten hours in the week, and and that's how you do it. Well, and I you know I, I listen to tapes and read in between. I'm talking real study time, like taking notes, and you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah. More intense stuff. Yeah. Well, this we're we're about our time's about up, and uh, it's it's important when you see the relationships, you see the seasons. It's important for us to know the season our nation is in. If we don't move the fulcrum over to where it needs to be, like just if you just took the day and you pondered what your role is, and if you have duty as a citizen of yeah. the United States and what season we're in with war and with where we're at and, and what we have the power to do. Oh, I just read the most incredible samples of writing about General Patton. They were in World War II, and he was commanding what was called the Third Army, and it was raining and raining and raining and raining, and he called the head chaplain of the entire Third Army. He said, how's the weather? And the chaplain looked out and he said, it's moderate, raining. <laughs> you know, and he said, do you have a prayer for weather? And he said, yes, I do. He said, okay. So the chaplain looked at all of his written prayers, and he didn't have a good one, so he wrote one. And he he typed it up, and he brought it over. And he knew that he might send it out, so on the back side, he wrote a little Christmas card from General Patton. He said, Merry Christmas, and blah, blah, blah. He typed that up. He brought it over to the general. General Patton read the prayer, and he said, that's perfect. And he said, I'd like you to make 250,000 of these and send them out to our troops. They were praying that the rain would stop. And that wasn't a day they didn't have copy machines. <laughs> I don't know how they did it. And I don't, he signed his name on it and everything, and it was just a prayer. It was a prayer beseeching heaven. General Patton said, he said, I believe in three things. I believe in thinking and planning. I believe in hard work, and I believe in prayer. He said there is an unknown element that makes the difference between success and failure, and it's prayer. He said, we've done all the thinking and planning we can do. We've done all the work we can do. And now we need the rain to stop or we will lose. And so he said to the, he said to the chaplain, he said, how are prayers right now among the troops? <laughs> and, he, and the chaplain said, not that good. You know, the chaplains are praying and we have some who pray, but generally not that good. He said, you know, a lot of people think they actually have to be at church to pray only. They don't know they can pray anywhere else. And General Patton said, can we do something about this? Do you have an in-service? And he said, we can. We can do something about this. And so they did something about it. And four days later, of course, the, well, the, the rain stopped, and within four days they had won the battle. And it was huge. marked huge difference the entire outcome of of World War II, and of course General Patton's prayer is famous because because it worked, <laughs> because all of his men prayed. Here's what he told his men. They had won and won and won and won and won, and he said he knew it was because of the prayers that had been offered back home. He said, but what lay ahead needed the prayers of the men themselves, besides the prayers of the people who were back home. And he said, the prayers of the people back home do as much as the soldier does. 
So I look at the state of our nation and I think, gosh, you know, what can I do? What is my relationship to our men in Iraq and our men and women in Korea and our people, you know, where where all of our people are and where our leaders are, you know, and I just I think of that story. I think of I think of the six keys of personal influence and what can we do? You know, what cycle are we in? What kind of power do I have? People who see in seasons see their relationship with their nation. They see their relationship to their community. They see their relationship to their family. They see their relationship to their spouse and to their God. And they and they can let go of any guilt that they might have because they understand the season they're in in comparison to the season the nation's in. Yes. And know exactly what it is they can contribute. The the most important thing right now that I can contribute is creating a, a is help to create a nation of youth who who are strong and mighty and can help. That's right. And and you know, I've I've got some youth right now who are going up to the Capitol and volunteering up there and that's what they can do for their, their country. That's right. So our challenge is, is to take a look at at where you are at personally and then Look at the big picture of the relationships of where you're at. and Find your season. It's time to end the call. and We appreciate so much all of you who, who take your Saturday mornings to get on with us. Thanks for listening to this episode. Just as in every Lemmy training, we hope you walk away uplifted and inspired, but also empowered to be a better mentor for your family and your community. Please be sure to subscribe and share. We also want to express our gratitude to all the Lemmy mentors, past and present. You got this. You can do hard things.